Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. From beginning to end, He is the same. From dawn to dusk, from death to life, He is eternal. He is sovereign. He is our teacher, our healer, our provider, our redeemer. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. excited about today. We are at the start of a great series. We just launched a new series last week called Jesus. And I love this series because it's leading us up to Easter Sunday morning as we're talking about just Jesus. Jesus, his name above all names. Now, there have been a lot of great names throughout history, no doubt. Uh, you probably have a great name. Uh, somebody spent a lot of time thinking about your name. If you're a parent, you probably spent a lot of time thinking about the name that you gave to your kids and it ties back into your family or it ties back into a character trait that you want to see demonstrated in your kids. But I want to tell you out of all the names that have ever existed, there is one name that is above all the other names. And that is Jesus, Yeshua, which literally means salvation. How awesome is that? Salvation is here. It is Jesus. So we have a memory verse that goes along with this series. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Let's read this aloud together. I hope you'll memorize it uh, during this series sometime. Okay, are you ready? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Isn't that awesome? So that's what we're talking about. It's just Jesus Jesus, last week we talked about Jesus is eternal. Today we're talking about Jesus is sovereign. Next week we'll see Jesus is teacher and then healer and provider and redeemer. And then on Easter Sunday, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will worship and celebrate. So I am so glad you're here today as we unpack the word of God and see all about Jesus. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. There is so much uh, great doctrine and theology that we are going to be unpacking today. So I'm really glad you're here. But John was one of the early disciples. He was one of the guys who traveled around with Jesus. So this is an eyewitness account. 
This is like, man, he was there. John was there when Jesus called his first disciples, which we'll see today. Uh, John was there when he saw the miracles unfold. He was there for the teaching. He, he was the only disciple who was at the cross. All the other disciples fled, but John was there. He was the first one to go inside the empty tomb when Jesus was resurrected. John was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. John was a leader in the early church. And John is about 90 years old when he's writing this and saying, guys, I've lived a lot of life. I've seen a lot of things. But I want to tell you, it's all about Jesus. And joy and peace and hope and purpose, it all comes in Jesus. And what I love about the Gospel of John is where Matthew and Luke, they kind of start telling about Jesus with his birth narrative, the physical birth of Jesus there at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Mark starts with Jesus' earthly ministry. But John goes all the way back to Genesis. John goes, hey, let me just show you Jesus has always been and he will always be. Right? Jesus, it's all been about him. And I love that. I love that with John. So John starts his gospel in verse 1. He just says, in the beginning was the word. And words capitalized there. And we looked at these first 18 verses last week as kind of the prologue that sets up the entire gospel of John. But when he says in the beginning was the word, word was something that the Greeks knew as the rational principle that governed the universe, logos. And what John is saying is, hey, logos, the rational principle that governs the entire universe, stepped into our world. The Jews would have said word would go back to the first five books of the Old Testament the Torah, the law, the Pentateuch. And what he says is, look, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word stepped into our mess, into our distress, into our worries, into our fears, into our brokenness, into our pain. Jesus came. Jesus. And it's all about him. And if you keep going then in verse 19 through 28, John the Baptist, who's the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. You know, uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people, and everybody was like, are you the Messiah? And he's like, nope, not me. That's not me. It's Jesus. And pick up here at verse 29. The next day, chapter 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when he said that, all the Jewish people who were there being baptized, they would have been like, ah, the Lamb of God. And notice, Lamb of God's capitalized, right? Lamb of God. They would have thought back to the Passover. You see, when, when they were slaves in Egypt, as a people, they were slaves. They had no help, no hope. Egyptian army, much more powerful than slaves. And they thought they were done for. But God sent deliverance. God came to their rescue. And God sent ten plagues against the Egyptians. And the last plague, right, was the plague of the death angel. And God told the people, hey, take the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes, he will pass over. That's the name, Passover. And they celebrate Passover still today. Pass over your home. And the firstborn of all the Egyptians will die. But you will be protected under the blood of the lamb. And that night they huddled together and the death angel comes over and they're praying together. And everybody, all the firstborn in Egypt die. And Pharaoh comes out and says, your God is greater. 
You are free to go. He has delivered you. You leave. And they plundered the Egyptians and took gold and food and all kinds of stuff. And they went with them. And when they were helpless, when they were dead, you know what? God came to their rescue. And they were waiting for the Lamb of God. And John looks up and says, the Lamb of God is here. And he's pointing to Jesus. But notice he adds this, who has come to take away the sins of the world. Not just for the Jewish people anymore. God's writing a bigger story. There's something bigger happening here. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's like, he's always been, right? I know I've been baptizing for a little bit and he's kind of coming on the scene, but no, he's eternal. He has always been. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And when did that happen? Do you remember? Is that Jesus' baptism, right? The Holy Spirit coming down. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. If you underline your Bible, you can underline that right there. Son of God. So notice the names for Jesus we've seen already. The Word, right? Last week, the one and only, the Lamb of God today. And the Son of God. And so we just see how John is saying Jesus is bigger than anything we face. Jesus is bigger than anything in this world. Jesus is sovereign. Sovereign literally means supreme. It means ruler over all. It means the one who is in charge and in control. And John's going, guys, it's about him. John's going, it's not about me. And it's not about any other person. It's all about Jesus. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's see how Jesus is sovereign in all creation. Turn with me back. If you have a Bible or you have a mobile device, go with me back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says this. Let us make man in our own image. Right? Now who's the us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Son of God. Right? So right there we see the Trinity in the garden, in creation. There is Jesus, right there. He says, let us make man in our own image. Now, if you ever wonder why you were created, you were created for a relationship with God. That's why you were created. That's why life doesn't make sense when we try to fix everybody around us and we don't spend time here. When you spend time here, everything else then begins to flow into all the other relationships. But so often, we're trying to spend all of our time out here. But you were made for a relationship with God. That's why you were created. And so God created man. He created Adam and Eve. And he put them in this beautiful garden. I mean, how cool would it have been back then, okay? I mean, think about it. I mean, they had this beautiful garden. He's like, all this is yours. And there's rivers and streams. If you love the outdoors, I mean, it couldn't be any more perfect. No mosquitoes. It was just like perfect place. There were animals around and they were all friendly, you know, and he's going to name the animals. I mean, you're just like, this is awesome. This is incredible. He goes, guys, this is all yours. And you think about the blessings that we have in our lives, but God goes, this is just perfect, except this one tree. Just don't eat at this one tree. Now, why did God do that? See, in God's sovereignty, he gave us a choice. 
Some people look and say, well, God's sovereignty and free will are mutually exclusive. I don't believe that at all. In fact, I believe that it accentuates God's sovereignty that he would give us a choice. Because really, is it love if you don't have a choice? It's only love when you have a choice, right? I mean, you don't want somebody to say, well, you know, I, I love you, but they're forced to. I mean, that, they don't really love you. They're a, they're a slave or they're a robot. So God puts them in this beautiful garden and says, all this is yours. But you have a choice. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to be obedient to me? Are you not going to be obedient to me? He is sovereign over all. He knows what's going to happen, right? It's not going to catch him by surprise in the slightest. But he puts them in this garden and says, guys, I want you to be in perfect relationship with me. I want you to love me. And for a while, everything is great. And if you come to the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. (laughs) They were fully known and they were fully accepted. They were fully known by God and fully accepted by him. They were fully known by each other. They didn't see any any warts or any any problems. They didn't see any disagreement. They just saw each other for who they were and they loved each other well until Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Isn't that the way sin always starts? <laughs> did God really say you shouldn't do that? Did, did God really say that? Notice Eve's response. She knows, just like us, right? We, we know, we kind of have grown up, we've studied the Bible, or, you know, we have this conscience inside of us. We know, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. Look at what God's done. She says, hey, God's given us all this. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, God did say that. that that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Satan comes along and just begins to say, oh, come on. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it, right? Come on, you'll be cool. You'll be popular. Come on, just, you know, come on, there's just really cool things. Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. You ever notice that? Sin, sin always looks so enticing, doesn't it? Oh man, but they're so good looking. Oh yeah, but they're great. You know, oh yeah, but I could do this and, and nobody's gonna know and uh, yeah. But here's the thing about sin. Sin always takes you further than you wanna go and it leaves you longer than you wanted to stay and it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. And she saw that fruit and she saw that it was desirable and she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband. <laughs> who was with her, and he ate it. You know, a lot of times we give Eve a hard time about this. Like, Eve, what were you thinking, right? But also, Adam's standing right there. I'm like, dude, be the spiritual leader in your home, man. Step up and say, no, this isn't right. But he's passive. He's sitting back. He's just letting this thing play out. And he takes some, and he eats it. And look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings 
for themselves. All of a sudden, the shame, the guilt, the ramifications that happened. See, man sinned and broke that perfect relationship with God. And we've all been there, right? We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all messed up. And immediately, what's their response? Hey, let's get some fig leaves. Let's do something to cover ourselves. And they're seeing the imperfection in their partner, in their spouse. And they're seeing things that are wrong with them. And they're feeling the guilt and the shame in their life. And now all of a sudden, you've got this hurt and this pain and this guilt that's filling the garden. And here comes God. And God's like, Adam and Eve, where are you? And what do they do? Instead of coming out and just confessing, God, we messed up. We are so sorry. We repent. They try to hide. Isn't that what we do? Maybe God won't find out. Maybe I'll be behind this bush and he won't know I'm here. You know, I mean, it's God. It's God. God's like, oh, Adam and Eve, why did you do this? And again, they have the opportunity to say, it was my fault. But what do they do? They start blaming everybody, right? It was a woman's fault. It was a serpent's fault. It was, instead of just stepping up and being a man or being a woman and just saying, listen, I messed up. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I messed up. I sinned. But what we see here is God's grace, even in creation. We see God's redemptive story start to unfold. Now, there are consequences for sin. You guys know that. We know that. Some of us may be still living with some of those consequences. For the serpent, God said, hey, here's the consequence, serpent. You're going to crawl on your belly, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the man. And we're all like, yeah, we know that. We hate snakes. You know, I mean, we still today, we hate snakes. We don't be around snakes. I mean, we know that. There is a curse there because we don't like snakes. For women, he's like, there's going to be a curse, Eve. You're going to have pain in childbearing. All the women are like, thanks a lot, Eve. You know, great, thank you. You know, it have been easy before. For the men, hey, you're going to have to work. You had all this fruit. It was easy. And now there's going to be labor. There's going to be toil. But I want you to see this. Turn over to verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Think about that for a moment. See, God didn't give up on them. Praise God. And he doesn't give up on us. And in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of all that they're going through, God comes to them. And what does he do? He makes garments of skin. Now, how did he make the garments of skin? Something had to die, right? The Bible even tells us the wages of sin is death. An animal had to die to cover them. But we see Jesus is sovereign in redemption. And right there, the seed of the gospel is being planted that goes throughout the entire Old Testament. The seed of the gospel is coming and germinating in the entire Old Testament as God is springing up redemption for all of us. And that's why in Genesis chapter 9, he calls a guy named Noah and he makes a covenant of life. And in Genesis chapter 12, he calls a guy named Abram and he says, Abram, leave your country and your people and go to a land I will show you. And I will be your God. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in Genesis 15, he enters into this covenant relationship with Abram. And in Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, 
from you. I am going to bring the redemption for all mankind. I'm going to carve out this people for myself. I will be your God, and I will continue to walk with you. And this will be the sign to you. It is called circumcision, the cutting away. And when a baby is eight days old, a baby boy, I want you to circumcise them because they are born in now physically. They are a part of this family and redemption is coming. Do you know what happens for a Jewish boy when they're eight days old? Not only are they circumcised, you know what happens to? They get their name. They get their name. And you know why this is so important? It's because the Jews believe that when you die, the only thing you take with you is your name. You don't take stuff. You don't take things. It's your character. It's your integrity. It's who you are. Hey, that was a person who had a good name. They lived up to it. They lived up to that potential. There was a person who lived life well. See, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And what God was doing was carving out a people who would believe him, carving out a people who would follow him, carving out a people who would trust him, carving out a people who weren't going to be perfect, but that God would bring the salvation of the world. And that's how you move in and watch this germ and this seed continue to germinate and continue to grow and continue to to blossom until we come into the New Testament and we see Jesus, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. You, me, a part of God's greater redemptive story. Galatians chapter 3 verse 6 says, Consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice that. It's about faith. It's about believing God. It's about understanding what God's doing in your life. It's about a relationship with him. It wasn't just that you were born into it physically. There's something spiritual that's happening. And then Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In him, that's in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism... And being raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So get this. Old Testament circumcision was that outward expression that you were physically a part of the family of God. New Testament baptism. Baptism. And here's the incredible part, right? Old Testament, it was something only men, and it was physical. New Testament, Jesus comes, makes a way. When you and I confess Jesus Christ is Lord, we enter into spiritually that relationship with God through Jesus, his son. And it is for all people. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, praise God. Jew nor Greek, he makes a way for all of us. But notice it's not baptism that saves you, just like it wasn't circumcision that saved you back then. It is your faith in God through Jesus. Praise be to God. What an incredible truth. What an incredible God. 
That he has come for all of us. And baptism is this beautiful expression of our faith, right? We are dying to our old way of life. And we're being raised to walk a new life. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were helpless and hopeless, right? Just like we were slaves in Egypt. But now, listen, we are free. We are made new. And it is an outward expression of an inward relationship that we have with God. Maybe today, maybe today. You're here, and maybe today's a day of salvation where you just say, Jesus is Lord. I understand that it's about faith. It's faith in God. I've been trying to sow fig leaves and cover myself up because of my sin and my shame, but it's God who covers me. It's God who takes the initiative. Maybe for you, today is a day of salvation. Maybe for you, today is a day, hey, I want to be baptized. (laughs) I want to make that outward statement. I want to say, hey, listen, look, this is what God's doing in my life. Maybe for you, you've already been baptized. And you can think back this morning and just remember, oh, the grace that I received. Think about what God's done in your life. Think about the way he's saved you, the way he's provided for you, the way he's taken care of you, the way God is continuing to work in you. See, you are made clean. Baptism follows your salvation experience because God is redeeming and restoring you. God is taking the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the guilt, the shame, the sin, and making it clean. That's what God's doing.
church. I'm John Adam Bevels. I've been Derek's uh, small group leader since he was in fifth grade. Um, he's asked me to baptize him today. So Derek, have you chosen to give your life to Christ? Yes. And it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Man, I just love, I love baptism. I love that expression that Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I want everybody to know. I just want people to know that, that outward expression of this inward faith. But here's the incredible part about baptism. Just like Jesus' is sovereign in creation, sovereign in redemption, baptism shows Jesus' is sovereign in discipleship. That we move forward in him. Baptism isn't the end. It's not like we check it off and go, okay, I'm ready to go to heaven. God says, no, I got great things for you in life. I'm going to do a great work through you, a bigger work than you could dream or imagine. So go back to John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. So here's John baptizing, and, and then he says, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And two of the guys that were there, verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. And who was the other one? Probably John the Apostle. Right? These guys were disciples of John before. I baptized then, and now Jesus goes, hey, come follow me. Come on. Come watch what I'm going to do. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, I love Andrew here. You know, Andrew's thinking, wow, look, it's the Messiah. It's the one we've all been waiting for. The first thing I need to do is go tell my brother. I got to make sure that he knows. You, you know, when you get excited about Jesus, you just want people around you to know. And many times it's the people closest to you. You're like, I want to make sure they know. I want to make sure they understand what's happening here. Well, Jesus, he brings them to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. What's the first thing he does? Changes his name, right? <laughs> Changes his name. And he changed it to Peter which literally means rock. Now, if you go through the Gospel of John, Peter was anything but a rock, okay? I mean, the guy was unstable. He was, he was impetuous. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. But Jesus saw the potential in him just like Jesus sees the potential in you. And he changes your name. He changes my name at salvation. He changes our name from <laughs> abandoned, guilty, lonely, afraid. And he changes our name to redeemed, to restored, made new, clean, love. Change your name. He changes your name and he transforms your life. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. Now notice that. Who found who? Jesus found Philip, didn't he? Just like Jesus has been pursuing you. If you look back on your life, you can see how Jesus has been drawing you to himself all the while. Every moment of your life, Jesus has been bringing you to himself. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now that's the essence of discipleship right there. He doesn't say, hey, Philip, listen, here's where we're going to go. Here's an itinerary of our trip. Here's how much it's going to cost. You know what? Here's a what to bring list. He just says, follow me. 
Discipleship is all about Jesus. It's all about us following Jesus. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. See, a lot of times we make evangelism so hard, like we're supposed to go and share our faith. Just come and see. Come check it out. God's doing some great things in my life. Come check it out. Come to church. Come, come see what God's doing. Come and see. Come and see. Well, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Well, I'm sovereign. No, he didn't say that, but that's true. Jesus answered, Well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you when you were sitting over there reading the Old Testament and trying to figure out life. I saw you when you were praying and asking for help. I saw you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He goes, oh, Nathaniel, you just wait, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you, you haven't seen anything yet. You just hold on to me. You follow me. You trust me. You're going to see greater things. Isn't that awesome? See, discipleship is about us just holding on to Jesus, following Jesus. Not my plans, but God, your plans. So what is it for us today? What does it mean, Jesus being sovereign? What does that mean as disciples of Christ today? It means a few things. Number one, it means this. It means that he is in control. And that is good news, guys. When the world seems out of control, when everything's happening around us seems going crazy, or even in our own lives when things seem out of control, listen, we could come and just say, God's got this. Okay, I may not understand what's happening at work, I may not understand what's happening in my family. I may not understand why God's called me to do this, but, but God's got this. And I'm going to hold on to him. He is in control. The second thing it means is this, is that we can live with confidence. Guys, we can live with confidence. You know how so many times we, we spend our time worrying? We stay up at night worrying. We lay in bed. We can't sleep because we worry. And 90% of whatever we worry about never comes to fruition. But we worry about it all the time. We can live with confidence because God's in control. I know I haven't been there in the future, but I know he has. I know where he is working. I can just hold on to him. I can have confidence that God has great plans for me. I can have confidence that God is going to bring to fruition whatever he started in my own heart, in my own life. God is for me, and that gives me confidence. Do you live with that kind of confidence? Do you live with that kind of faith? Here's the third thing. The third thing it tells us is this. Our eternity is secure. Our eternity is secure. See, the Bible says nothing can snatch you out of the hand of God. The perseverance of the saints, that when you confess Jesus is Lord, when you commit your life to Christ, then nothing is going to take you away from the Lord. Your eternity is secure. And so everybody who's been afraid of death all throughout history, we can understand, hey, death, you've been defeated. 
Hey, death, you don't have the last say anymore. There is more to come, and there is eternal life, and that whole Garden of Eden thing, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be made right, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be with Jesus. My eternity is secure. That's why the Apostle Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal reward that far outseeds them all, man. It just exceeds anything that we're going through today. And we may go through some hard times or some difficult times, but it's going to be exceeded by the joy that we have in Christ. It means, number four is this, it means greater things are still to come. You may look at your life and just say, man, God's done so much. God's been so faithful. God's been so gracious. God's done great things. Yes, he has, but God's not finished with you. You still have breath in your lungs for a reason. God still has a purpose for you. God still sees potential in you. You go forward in him. Greater things are still to come in your life. You hold on to him. And it means this. Number five, it means it's all about Jesus. Guys, it's all about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' sovereignty in creation, Jesus' sovereignty in redemption, Jesus' sovereignty in discipleship, and Jesus' sovereignty in eternity. Here's what Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says, therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the what? The name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Now we could choose to bow our knee and say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. I'm going to bow my knee right now or I will bow my knee in eternity. But every person who's ever lived will bow. Right? He is sovereign. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And when he came the first time, he came in humility and grace. When he comes back the second time, nobody will miss him. Jesus will step into this world and he'll say, enough, enough pain, enough sorrow, enough. All things are made new. All things are made right. The sovereignty of Jesus. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.